Hey guys, before we get started with today's show, I just want to congratulate my boss, Bill Simmons, who you may know as the host of the Bill Simmons Podcast, which just won the 2017 People's Voice and Webby Awards in the Best Sports Podcast category. So thanks to everyone who voted, supported us, and shout out to Bill Simmons. Okay, and here's my interview with J.D. Dillard. Hello and welcome to a Channel 33 podcast. My name is Sean Fennessy and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Ringer. Today I'm joined by J.D. Dillard. You may not have heard of him. Three years ago, J.D. was a receptionist for J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot. But today he is the writer-director of his first film, which combines street magic, hip-hop, crime, and a little superhero mythology. Are you interested yet? The movie is called Slight, as in sleight of hand. J.D., thanks for being here today. Thanks so much, man. J.D., not a lot of people know who you are, so I want people to understand who you are because your movie is very interesting and you are, seems like at the precipice of an exciting (laughs) young career. Um, So why don't you tell people sort of where you're from originally and how you got into filmmaking? Uh, So I'm from, grew up in Philly uh, and, uh, you know, had sort of the great benefit of having a teacher who was from that world a little bit, Not, not necessarily in the professional sense, but just a really... I guess, important person in my creative growth, a, a guy named Mr. Granger, who actually has a namesake in Slight. Um, and funny enough, was like also my dad's film teacher. We went to the same high school, like 30 years apart. I also grew up in a military family, and I was thinking, okay, maybe military or maybe film, uh, which are very different, turns they out. Are. Uh, so the decision kind of came down to going to West Point or going to Syracuse, um, but wound up uh, going to Syracuse to study film in their visual performing arts school, uh, which is the sort of like more avant-garde side, because they also have this, they have New House, which is a little bit more like public communications and, um, you know, maybe even a little more Hollywood oriented. Mm -hmm. But I think what was really cool about those two years at Syracuse was, you know, my teachers who then kind of became my mentors, uh, Cooper and Emily. I was just like watching things I never would have watched. You know, I feel like that's kind of the weird thing about film school. The 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 curriculum is so the same in a lot of these places. And you know, after you've watched like the same eight movies, it's like cool. Now go make your movies. Uh, you know, I, I think that's you're just like putting kind of the same point of view uh, back out into the world. So that that machine I was I'm, I'm kind of glad to not really have come from that necessarily. Uh, but you know, in the visual performing arts school, we were watching. Like Bill Viola video art, and we were really getting like inundated with all of these things that I, I think kind of helped like denormalize me a little bit. What uh, kind of a movie fan were you as a kid? Were you like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, Star well, Wars kind of person? As you can tell with the Boba Fett tattoo on my arm, uh, <laughs> Star Wars is kind of the, the sole reason I'm in the business. But I think it was really helpful and important to to shake some of that off. Not granted, like that doesn't sort of devalue Star Wars or devalue Jurassic Park or all these movies that I, you know, grew up like burning the VHS tape down. But uh, it was also good to, you know, watch things from like every corner of the planet and watch things that aren't so uh, linear in their narrative and, um, you know, representative of like different cultures and subcultures and types of people, et cetera, et cetera. So Syracuse is great, but it's also very cold there. Uh, <laughs> I, went, I went to neighboring Ithaca College. Oh, so there you I'm go. Very there familiar. You go. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you know all it's terrible. About, it's horrible there. You know about upstate New York and uh, <laughs> Lake Effect Snow. So, yes. and I also just wanted to be near the business, mm-hmm. not necessarily study the business, study filmmaking, but just be near it. So I, I applied to a bunch of schools in New York and a bunch of schools in LA, uh, and ended up getting into USC, um, but not to go to film school. So I wanted to do 
English textual studies slash creative writing, which sort of over the course of the semester, I realized that I kind of wanted to do, you know, like 18th century British lit, which I don't really know how I wound up that wanting to do lucrative, that. sounds lucrative, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to be rich. So there was that. And then there was getting kind of interested in like Middle Eastern studies and maybe women's studies. Point being, it didn't last long because I ran out of money and had to drop out. Uh, but I'd been interning at this company, Reveille, for a while. And at the time, their sort of like bread and butter show was The Office. Um, and I went over there and started working for uh, one of their scripted TV execs because I had been interning that semester and then coincidentally, you know, that assistant got promoted and I became the assistant and I started working there and that was sort of the start at least of my, you know, somewhat able to pay my bills professional life. Um, but more importantly, in, in a very different way, shook the green off of me because I could, I was suddenly responsible for reading, you know, so much more than I ever had uh, and providing coverage and really just like learning the language of writing, which is something I had been doing. But you can kind of tell how bad of a writer you are after you've read a thousand scripts. Um, so, you know, that sort of became the process of, I think, just orienting myself with where my writing stood. Uh, and, you know, I knew what it was better than, and I knew plenty of things that it was not better than. At that stage, were you thinking you were just going to be a screenwriter? Yeah, and weirdly, uh, like half-hour comedy, um, which is so strange because I'm not funny. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Who the, the judge of that? It, 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 was, it was really, you know, writing was always in the back of my head. Directing was such a far-off, like, you know, 10-year plan. Um, but writing is free. You know, so I, I think in, in trying to flex that muscle and work it out and grow in a craft, like it, it's it's something that is uh, much more economical to do. Um, so, you know, was at Reveille for a bit of time and then kind of just reached this point where, you know, I felt like I'd learned a lot from this experience. I realized that I really wanted to be in features. Um, but almost more importantly, you know, when you kind of realize that you, you you don't want to at all be on like the executive track, quote unquote, uh, your, your time is like the most valuable thing. Um, and I was just like responsible for a lot of reading at home and at night. And, you know, if I wasn't eating or sleeping, I was reading. So I needed to find something where I could at least, you know, get my time back. So through a friend of a friend, I had heard about the receptionist position opening up a bad robot, uh, which was like. We should say J.J. Abrams Production Which Company. JJ's, yeah, J.J.'s company. And, you know, it was like two career steps backwards mm -hmm. um, uh, and a very significant cut in a paycheck and a sizable increase in my commute. Um, but, you know, the psychological income that that would yield uh, was astronomical. And I, I think, you know, my move there is sort of the, the first push down the hill uh, of the, you know, one day, hopefully, avalanche or at least snowball um, to get, I think, my career started. So, you know, that's a nine to five job. And you can't, turns out you cannot be a receptionist from home. You know, your responsibilities <laughs> uh, cease when you walk out of that door. Um, and, you know, from from being an assistant with, you know, sort of increasing responsibilities, jumping to receptionist, you know, is a, is a relatively easy thing to do, mm -hmm. mostly because all I would really need to do is like smile and say bad robot 4,000 times a day uh, as the phone rang. But that place became family and, you know, I became very close with a lot of people there and, and in general, just to like see people you really respect directorially, editorially, just, to, you know, all of these various positions on a, on a movie, um, to see them at work and see how they interact with each other uh, certainly like leaves an impression. So... Uh, I was there for about two, three, I can't 
re I don't really remember. I need to look at my old resume. Um, uh, and then that ended up being the first piece of writing my writing partner Alex and I set up was uh, uh, a pitch that we took to Bad Robot. So, and from there, it's like not glamorously, but it was enough to like, okay, I can take a step out and explore this life as a writer and just sort of see see what happens. I read that when you were first figuring out how to become a writer in Hollywood that you sought out a copy of the Lost <laughs> yeah. uh, pilot script yes. on eBay. Which um, is like so embarrassing that I think I paid like $60 for it. <laughs> uh, but it's like it was just before the time where you know, like everything was just like readily available as a PDF and like Scriptorama and Simply Script and mm -hmm. all these places that, you know, now do a great job of archiving all of these things. But it was like a, so embarrassing, uh, but it was like a, a photocopy of an autographed script from Lost. Uh, <laughs> $60 worth, huh? I was going to say, yeah, just to like know what like Damon Lindelof and JJ's uh, like <laughs> signatures look like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I think in in sort of your 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 path as a, you know, artist in general, uh, which I'm certainly still on and still trying to figure out, but, you know, it's really funny to look at that, that jump from emulation to your own style. Um, and when I look at my old stuff, it, like it's, it's not, it's, not like hard to tell at all the writing that I was influenced by because you know there is like kind of a bombastic quality to uh, JJ and Damon's writing and that was what I was basing everything I was mm -hmm. doing off of so you know just like capital letters and very kinetic and just the, making the read and experience uh, not just like a blueprint to shoot was definitely something that I was trying to emulate. Um, but then, you know, you grow and you write more things, and then you're writing things without having the law script open next to you, and, you know, you get to a point where, yeah, you, you're, maybe you're going to lose some of those qualities, but you're now infusing new qualities, and, uh, you know, it's, it's really funny to but go back and read those things from 2007, 2006, uh, and be like, got it, yeah, this is just a like copy paste of the law script, but with like different characters and, you know, <laughs> and different circumstances. But what was it like then having a little bit of real access to JJ? I, I think the, the really the big takeaway was just like, oh, my God, everybody likes working with him. Um, and regardless of how incredible a filmmaker he is, I, I think the, 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 the biggest takeaway for me is almost from like a it's almost from like a leadership point of view. Um, you know, I, I think when you, everybody's directing style is different and I have certainly seen sets where, you know, the artistry is like a 10 out of 10, but the experience of being there uh, could be significantly less than that. Um, but JJ really strikes this incredible <laughs> balance of like being so good at what he does and also being the nicest dude on the planet. So there is this, I, that was like the almost the immediate takeaway um, was just oh yeah okay first definitely try to do both definitely like try to be a good person and also uh, do good work um, and you know you don't have to be maniacal or mean or cold or any of these you know like brooding or whatnot to like make the art good um, and you know it people should like leave the experience of working with you and want to do it again and you know that that energy i think translates to your set when people feel included and involved and valued like these are all things that you know it's very 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 easy to feel when you're a bad robot let's go back again the protagonist in your movie slight mm -hmm. is a street magician among mm -hmm. other things and magic really uh, is in the undercurrent of the movie in a lot of ways 
I'm curious about your personal experience with magic. You're yep. a magician yourself. Yeah. So I, I, you know, it's one of those. I was definitely one of those kids that just had like way too many hobbies. Um, I mean, f- making movies was always like the, the 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 forefront of that, and the other hobbies would like feed into movies. So whether it was like Lego Mindstorms and trying to like make animatronics, which was weirdly one of the things that I thought I wanted to do in film when I was younger, I was like you know looking at uh, that old Discovery Channel show, Movie Magic, uh, and just like seeing the Stan Winston shop like building the Velociraptors. Be like, cool, that's what I that's what I'm gonna do. Obviously, I want to just build Velociraptors. Um, so. One of the many sort of, uh, you know, collected interests was magic. Um, And, you know, I think it started a little bit before David Blaine, but I think in seeing that very first ABC special is what solidified it. And then it was just like going to the library and finding like the one book that would teach you a couple of tricks. And then, you know, and getting a little older and having access to the Internet, I suddenly realized like, oh, my God, there's a giant community of this and you can buy tricks I didn't realize that and I you know when you're young and can't drive anywhere or have a car like you don't really and also with the internet just not being exactly what it is right now just to not know that there's like a magic store downtown or not know these things so you know I never re- I never really grew up with a community of magic uh, but and sort of seeing what was available online with like places like Penguin Magic and Illusionist, and that's when I started asking for tricks for Christmas or gift cards to these websites and buying things and really focusing on, uh, you know, like teaching myself sleight of hand and getting to a point where people were paying me to do it at events. And, you know, it was funny. I remember maybe my sophomore year in high school, you know, you sort of watch everyone go off and get their summer job. And I, I remember that's. One of those summers, I, I did like two or three magic gigs and like made the money that I needed for the summer. Um, so it's like in three days, I like, you know, sort of like surpassed my friends, like being lifeguards and whatnot. Uh, it was like, cool, so I'm done, I'm good. Like this is the summer money. Uh, and that was that was like really empowering, realizing, oh cool, like here is like a skill that I have that, you know, is both entertainment but can also Again, I'm not gonna say support me because I'm like 14, but uh, <laughs> but you know at least like gave me money to like go buy more magic and go buy video games and you know do all the things that uh, spend all the money that 16 year olds spend. So, were you ever gonna do that as a career? I don't th- think so. Uh, you know, it does. Magic does sit in that weird line between like hobby and passion. Mm-hmm. Um, you Can know, be a hard living. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, look, I'm already collecting, like, really hard livings. <laughs> uh, you know, screenwriting and <clears throat> filmmaking are not necessarily the, the most l- linear, um, immediately lucrative uh, careers. But, you know, it's just something I loved. And in general, uh, you know, magic is tied to so many reasons why I like movies to begin with. I mean, there is a level of, you know, inherent deceit um, and... Uh, you know, I think when magic is working at its best, like there's a narrative with it. You know, it's not it's not just showing someone this, but it, it's also explaining how you get there. And you know, you you use your words to you know as part of the sleight of hand. Um, and you can direct attention, and you can you know, it's funny like when you're when you're doing a trick, it's it's incredible when you need someone's eyes off your hands to like speak to them empathetically. You know, it's like there are these things that it, it's I don't know magic is weird like a crash course and just like how to deal with people mm-hmm. um, you know I think part of that slips into something that maybe is a little scary and sinister because it's also manipulative but 
you know, if you if you are doing a trick and you need to get someone's attention, you speak to them, like you talk to them. Uh, and now they're looking at you. And now I can cut the deck in half and you're looking in my eyes, not at my hands. So, you know, it, it, it is, there are all, the, all these weird intersections, I think, between magic and film. Um, and, you know, it, it, it certainly, and, and finishing slight didn't surprise me in like looking back, like, oh, my first movie was about magic. Got it. Yeah, there's yeah. even in the movie you can see Jacob Lattimore who plays the protagonist of the movie, the camera shows his face, his hands, then the other actor's eyes looking yep. at his eyes, and you you're really communicating that connection between the magician. It's interesting though, it's I mean it's very much like how a director mm-hmm. forces you to look in a certain place and what's happening off screen is something you don't think about as well, much. You know, and, and and it's funny, like the and even looking at how magic is portrayed in Slight, you know, we knew we were not going to be able to compete with, like, Now You See Me. Mm-hmm. You know, Jacob wasn't going to be able to, like, jump off of buildings and turn into decks of cards and, like, fly away. Like, they're, 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 it required, like, a very, very different approach. But then also, like, you know, magic is only one of the spinning plates in the movie. So it only required us to check in on it, you know, very specifically when when necessary. But even in its framing and how we shoot those scenes... You know, it's kind of more about him than it is the performance, and that's why, you know, most scenes where he's performing like end on him. It ends on how he feels about it, not the like "oh my god" face of everyone freaking out about it, uh, because you know the point is to sell his love for it and that this is you know his passion more than it is necessarily like these are tricks you've never seen in your life before. Hmm. So, let's go back again. You're working at Bad Robot as a receptionist. You're starting to learn how to pitch. Mm-hmm. At what point does something like Slight come along, or do you have several other stories that you're trying to sell or make happen at that point? Well, it's you know it's funny. Slight sort of existed first as a short film script mm-hmm. that we couldn't find money for, um, and. You know, as Alex and I sort of took the step to figure out what it meant to be working writers and going out for pitches and going after like bigger studio gigs and blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I think we just kind of reached a like a weird point of fatigue that I think stems from a few different things. Like one, I don't know if we were just in general, I don't know if we were ready yet. You know, I, I don't know if we if we really had uh, the chops to be pitching on the things that we were pitching for. Um you know, then there's also a weird feeling when you kind of lose the same, when you lose the all of these jobs to kind of like the same group of people uh, who are, you know, a few years your senior and a few movies past you, not a few, I mean, just movies past you. We hadn't really done too much, you know, up until that point. Um, and I think that the, the biggest thing that we learned sort of, you know, if we are to use slight as the, the, the A and B side of our career, you know, we were only going after jobs instead of self-generating. Um, and th- the problem with that is, you know, winning a job is very difficult. Uh, and if you're only focusing on that uh, and you don't win any jobs, you don't have anything. So, you know, that's been a huge adjustment in the way we work now is, you know, the, the, the game plan is pretty much one for one. So if we go out for a pitch, which, you know, can be a two to four month process, depending on what where it's at. Uh, we're also writing something original simultaneously. So the second you get that call that, hey, sorry, it's going over here, uh, you know, we can immediately like turn back to our reps and be like, cool, well, also we wrote this thing. And that's literally how Sweetheart came to be, the movie that we're leaving for uh, next week. So Slight really kind of came from that frustration. Uh, and I think at the, the, at the height of that frustration, something really interesting happened in that uh, I, with 
very little heads up, left the country for more than a year uh, to work for JJ on Force Awakens. Um, and, you know, in, in some regards, like that was very disruptive, just leaving LA. Uh, uh, and LA has this weird thing where you're kind of afraid to leave the city because you're going to like miss opportunities and you know, people are going to forget. Uh, very quickly, you realize that like the, the numbers to the agencies aren't changing. Like nobody's going anywhere. Uh, it'll still be 70 degrees every single day while you're gone. Um, and then, you know, when you come back, like nothing changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the fear of it being disruptive uh, vanished very quickly as I realized just how much this trip was going to teach me. Um, you know, and I, I think in sitting on that set and in watching, you know, one of my favorite directors direct my favorite film franchise, um, it really galvanized the desire that, like, I have to direct something. There, there couldn't be a better movie to just be a fly on the wall. Um, and, you know, Star Wars is certainly, even now, like, my goal. Like, I want to wind up and do something like that or be able to, like, go into that world. And it was, like, so insanely demystifying, you know, I, I think. And, and it really was what gave me agency to, to you know, come back and have Alex and I go shoot something. I, I think seeing a movie at that scale, it's, it's very easy to be an audience member and be like, cool, like, J.J. and Larry Kasdan just like wrote this thing and there was one draft and then they shot that draft and they edited it and then it came out in theaters uh, and just to think that it was like this immaculate conception um, and this is obviously nothing to their process but it was so helpful for me to realize that oh my god we're all doing the same thing like m- no matter how many zeros are at the end of the budget or how many people are on the crew or how many movies you've made prior it's like you want people to care about this character you want this shot to look good you think that we need to move the camera over here so people will feel this like the 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 building blocks are all the same no matter how you know how, how sort of big the production is and to answer your question seven minutes later um <laughs> and coming back from that you, you it's like okay we're frustrated about not selling writing uh, or winning gigs and what the hell just happened overseas watching Star Wars get made? Let's just like m- distill all of this down into something creative and something we can shoot here in LA uh, and something that feels hopefully ours and that we can do for a price so that I can direct it and Alex can produce it. And that really was like the, the, the bedrock on which we built Slight. And it seems like it actually went into production very quickly and the money came together quickly after yep. all of this time of figuring out how to write and how to sell and how to pitch. Did you feel like you were sort of thrown into the fire immediately after that? I mean, yes and no. I mean, it was all kind of by our design, so we at least had that. But, you know, I came back from overseas in Oct- September or October of 2014. Um by December, we are already talking, at least Alex and I, about Slight being a feature. And then, you know, I would say first meeting about Slight with our, you know, eventual financier, uh, uh, Eric Fleischman at uh, Diablo. That conversation was first in January. Then we maybe really kicked it off in February. We had written a draft in March, and we were in prep by April to shoot in June. And we shot in June for 16 days uh, and then had a work in progress cut sent to Sundance by October. So 
by the time we had heard about Sundance, sorry, by the time we had sent a cut into Sundance, like I had just been back a year. So, you know, the, the process was very quick. Uh, but, you know, we were both like kind of lit with both this inspiration and frustration. So uh, we, we certainly didn't waste any time to sort of get into it. But, you know, it, it's, it's funny because it's felt like a long time, but I know by like a typical movie calendar, like this slight took 14 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, even coincidentally, like, you know, we wrote, shot, edited, and posted slight all during Star Wars post. Uh, so just as like a frame of reference for the amount of time. <laughs> wow. Um, and quite literally, uh, we sent the screening copy of Slight to Sundance um, the day of the Star Wars premiere. So it was like l- literally the calendar kind of like ended at the same time too. So uh, that, as weird as that was, it was kind of uh, like nicely metaphorical for what the experience felt like. That's really fascinating. So the, the movie, you know, we should say is as small as low budget, mm-hmm. despite some of the themes, but then... At a certain moment in the movie, um, it brings a there's a new atmosphere and it feels bigger than maybe what we've been watching before. Right. On a low budget, how do you bring that in? Is is it by working with people who know the bad robot experience? Is it just by pluck and and verve? How do you pull that off? You know, I mean, I, I think the the balance that we're trying to find in Slight is scale was largely going to have to be something implied. <laughs> what was really helpful is. You know, we knew how much we were going to have to shoot the movie when we started writing it. So the game plan was like, cool, let's write it to that budget and then maybe push it 15% just so it's kind of difficult. Uh, But, you know, that 15% goes a long way. Uh, I think if we shot exactly for what the budget was, uh, it it would be, you know, slightly less impactful and fun. Um, But, you know, you got to take a little bit of a risk in there. But I think in in just... being able to build the narrative with, you know, the, the price point in mind. It's like, okay, cool. So let's make as many scenes as we can have, ha- you know, take place in the location that we're already using. Um, when in doubt, shoot a scene in a car, uh, <laughs> uh, a parked car specifically. Um, you know, reduce the number of speaking roles. Like there are all of these things that you just start realizing uh, as you're sort of having the line producer live run the budget while you're putting it together, um, you realize very quickly where you can cut corners. Uh, but the point is that you always want it to feel intentional, not like a corner cut. So that is, I think that is the benefit of knowing really what you're working towards while you're writing is everything can actually happen with intent. Had you been to Sundance before the movie's premiere? I, I hadn't. I'm like w- kind of weirdly superstitious about festivals without a movie uh, or at least festivals without being an alum um, so I would I'm dying to go back to Sundance because I I saw when we went last year I saw Slight five times and two other movies mm-hmm. um, and movies that I since have seen I was like damn that would have been so fun to see with like the festival crowd uh, but the the the, the the sort of schedule you have when you're there with a movie is a little nuts. Um, so we didn't have as much time to sort of hang out. But uh, yeah, that was my very first time at the festival uh, last year. Tell me about the experience of... So the movie premiered at Sundance in 2016. Yeah. Very well received. Must have been a good experience for you. What is it like to have people pursuing the sort of ownership of your movie and mm-hmm. the distribution? Are you in all those conversations? Do you have any say in terms of where things like that go, or are you at the are you at the will of the production company? Um, kind of all of the above. I mean, in, in terms of 
deciding where we would take it for distribution. You know, it's funny, like you, we, we heard stories of like, you know, agents will be calling at 3 a.m. and blah, blah, blah. It's like a crazy thing. And we're like, okay, well, it, it, it going into the festival, not really knowing like what was lore and then what was true was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um, Sundance actually does a very good job uh, preparing you. Like they have like really great like informational packets and, you know, quotes from other filmmakers just kind of telling you what the experience is like. And it's really like nonlinear and not even like categorized. It's just like blurbs from people who have been at the festival saying things about the festival, um, which is really helpful. Uh, you know, I also talked to a few people who had films at the festival just to, uh, in previous years, just like, what was your experience? And are some of these things I'm hearing true? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and so much of it turned out to be true, which is crazy. Like, it, we premiered it on a Saturday, and then, like, starting Sunday day into the night, you know, there are phone calls, and people are talking, like, oh, we're going to do this, and we'll do this, and, you know, we want to sit down with you, but we want to change these pieces, and we want to, you know, we want to take it into, you know, direct to VOD, but here's how we're going to do it. And other people were like, we'll just put it on the screen now. We like this version. So you're, you're, you're sort of ingesting not just different distribution strategies, but also what it'll mean to the movie as it stands. Um, you know, there's there were some people who didn't want to touch it. There are some people who were like, what if we reshoot like this piece? And all that is part of the conversation while you're also talking about the business side of it. Uh, and again, we weren't adverse to changes if it made sense and there were some good ideas and, you know, ultimately like we know what slight is. It is a, you know, it is it is a low-budget movie that we shot in 16 days in L.A., and not to take value away from it, but, you know, that process comes with some concession. Uh, so, you know, we were open to whatever anyone was saying, but while maybe it's naive, we wanted to see this movie in theaters. You know, I understand that the distribution model is rapidly changing every single day, and, you know, Netflix and Amazon are just as good as venues as opening on 2,000 screens. But... For what this movie is, and, and and honestly, that was sort of motivated by what the energy of Slight was at the festival. You know, we were not the best movie at Sundance. Like, there are movies that I've since seen that were there that I think are incredible. Uh, and like, you know, my friend's movie, uh, The Fits, uh, Anna Rose Holmer's film, like, I, it's one of my favorite movies of the year. And like, and I wish it was in more of the conversations with like <laughs> Moonlight and La La Land. Like, I, I really, really think that movie should have been or should continue to be elevated to to that to that level but the cool thing about slight was like we were like while not prestige we were like commercially compatible you know i i think the sort of rumor at sundance was like oh that's just like a normal movie uh which is like <laughs> was kind of funny you know and yeah. like that we quite literally overheard that like in coffee shops and just on the street when people were talking about what to see uh and I think what solidified that the most was when we took it into the Salt Lake City screening. So in, in your sort of tour at Sundance, uh, most times you'll have like a, a screening back in the city. And the cool thing about that is that, you know, it's it's a multiplex um, and you're walking in and like Kung Fu Panda is also playing. Um, and the people who are there are from Salt Lake. It's not, you know... And that's the, the funny thing also about Sundance. Like, it's basically just like going to the mountains with everybody that already lives near me here in L.A. Uh, but to go to Salt Lake, these are people not in the industry. These are just people who like movies. And, you know, they're only going to the Salt Lake screenings. They're never coming into Park City. And to see Slight up against normal movies at the multiplex, 
it felt so natural there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, I, I think the audience sort of confirmed that for us. Like, oh, cool, it just belongs here like these other movies. Um, and because of that, we, we were really motivated to find a way to get it into theaters. You know, Jason Blum called, funny enough, the night of our Salt Lake City screening. I, we Alex and I introduced the movie and then like stepped outside to talk to him on the phone. And, you know, he had the same vision for it. it was just like I, he, he saw that this could be, you know, quote unquote, commercially compatible. We could release this in theaters. We could, you know, target not just a black demographic, but it can't just be a movie. And that was really important to me, too, that, that it not just be targeted to a black audience. Because, I, you know, I, I think weirdly from a marketing standpoint, it's it's not a two way road, I feel, you know, it's it's very hard for it to be a black movie and then try to get white audiences to see it mm-hmm. as opposed to just having a movie and then have targeted marketing for whoever you need to see it. You know, very shortly after that, uh, we decided to yeah team up with Blumhouse to get the movie out there. And, and you know, the, the part that nobody talks about is when you make a low-budget movie, you're basically paid enough to afford to live solely like production. So it's not that much money. Uh, and then suddenly it's your full-time job for a year and a half. Uh, and you can't take on new work. You can't do other things. And th- it's funny. You've been selling blood? What have you been doing? Uh, what was I doing? Um, well, uh, you know, it's like, the, so this is, hey, here's the like not so glamorous side of independent filmmaking or just filmmaking in general. Um, you know, all of my student loans defaulted. All of my credit card, lo- all of my credit cards went into collections. Uh, uh, I went back to Bad Robot to um, help my sort of friends who chef there, uh, help them in the kitchen. Um, so, you know, I was doing whatever I could, but it's, I still had to keep so much time open for Slight. Uh, and, you know, that process sucks. Like, it really sucks. And that's nobody's fault. It's no one's fault. It's just, it's the nature of a low-budget movie where you can't just pay somebody 85 grand to, like, go get it done. Like, go make sure the movie's ready for theaters. Like, that's our job. And it's literally me rendering new credits on my laptop to then put into the movie. And it's you know, my writing partner, Alex, who was also producing the film with me, uh, you know, it's him just like going over paperwork again and again and again. So the analogy we made, which was maybe grim, but it, it's like, it's kind of like being the captain of a golden ship, but it's sinking. Uh, so like what you have is like so great and so valuable, uh, but you're also drowning. Um, and at, at, certain, at a certain point, you're like, What's better to have a golden ship or to be slowly drowning? Uh, and it's that's a really, <laughs> really tough thing. Um, and not even for ego, but it, it it it's just you know you're excited to watch your actors go off and do these great things, and your DP and editor go off and like join these new projects, and everyone in a great way is you know, I mean they are already talented, but also benefiting from slight and growing and all of this. Uh, and you're like, cool, like I'll be right there as soon as this is done. Uh, so that process is is hard. It's a good segue, though, to talk about what happens after this. Obviously, this is a very exciting moment. The movie comes out April 28th. You've already mentioned Sweetheart, which is the next movie you yep. are moving to Bali to work on for a yeah, long going, period of time. Bali's neighbor, we're going to Fiji. Fiji, excuse uh, me. Uh, but, you know, we, we decided in the process of coming back from Sundance and sort of how I was talking before, you know, we would, we, we decided we would sort of create something original while going after a bigger, bigger job. 
so we swung for you know a big studio gig and uh, I, I think got pretty close uh, and all during this you know multiple month process we were writing sweetheart and you know what was funny is that it, it, it happened really exactly like we dreamed where you know we got like a call on Friday night from our agents that like hey sorry they're going a different direction and we're like cool uh, please check your inbox. There is a script called Sweetheart. We would like to take this out next week. Um, and, you know, within the next two weeks, we, uh, you know, had set it up at Blumhouse. Just, you know, it's it, it, it's a place that had become family in the process of getting Slight ready. And, you know, also it's just a very exciting time over there. And Jason has been great. And Cooper has been great. Everybody over there has been so remarkably helpful. But... You it's know. really boom times post split and get out and it's yeah a, and you know you know what's been kind of funny is uh, even even just in the past six months the the perception of our own movie when we told people we're working with Blumhouse because you know of course coming from slight people were wondering like so what your next thing is like the the people that did like Purge and Insidious and and we're like yeah of course yeah that's that's what we're working with and. I mean, those movies are great, but I, I think pe- people didn't see how we fit into that type of movie, which Sweetheart isn't necessarily. But, you know, now with, like, Get Out and Split performing the way that they have and, you know, articles being written about is Blumhouse the Pixar of horror? And, like, you know, they've even taken a step, I think, in in uh, the perception of the types of films that they're making. Uh, but, you know, I, I think what's important to mention is that, like, they've always been on that track. Uh, there are just you know, two even newer, cooler movies to talk about. Uh, but we're so thrilled to sort of be, you know, able to catch that wave um, behind, you know, M. Night and Jordan Peele uh, to just continue to try to make what Blumhouse, I think, does is just kind of cool left-of-center horror. Uh, and and that, that is sort of our, our, our goal with this movie. It, it is a survival thriller, sort of survival horror thriller um, uh, starring Kiersey Clemens. Uh, and, you know, we're shooting the whole thing out in Fiji. But the the, the, the dream is to sort of, you know, it's been funny. I, I'm not traditionally like a, an insane horror fan. Um, and for that reason, it's been kind of fun to put the movie together because it's we want to use those tropes. We want to use all the pieces that you're used to seeing in horror movies. And those pieces will certainly be in the trailer. Um, but funny enough, like the, my reference for the film more than anything else is Sicario. Uh, you know, I think Sicario is a movie where you know if, if you could if you could have a film experience where rhythmically the entire like every every few minutes you felt like the leaving the border scene when you don't know there's going to be a shootout in Sicario if you can just live in that for 90 minutes uh, I think that would be uh, so remarkably painful but fun uh, and that's sort of the the goal with sweetheart is to to, to rhythmically find uh, that sense of dread and and not necessarily be jump scare horror uh, or, or you know, be cheap about it at any moment, but to live in this like atmospheric uh, terror. It's been funny. We've been calling the movie like a terror movie, just internally, uh, because that seems more right for us. Uh, but still, utilize all the pieces that people are attracted to horror. Um, but you know, I think you go in and it delivers something just slightly left of center. Let's wrap up with this. There are a lot of reports that you're also working on a remake of The Fly. There are. Yeah. How do you talk about things like that? Is that happening? What's it like when you have something in front of you that you need to do first, and then those rumors happen? Yeah. Well, I mean, look the 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 goal right now is absolutely 
to make a killer movie out of Sweetheart, you know, uh, and we're so psyched to be teaming back with with Blumhouse to to do that. You know, at the same time, you know, we're we're, we're trying to build a career, uh, and you know, scaling up is never really the 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 important part of the conversation for me. You know, if if my next movie it turned out like made sense at twenty five or made sense at three, like that's all that matters. It, it's 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 what the story needs and what it needs to to effectively pull it off, um, you know. And what what I am happy about is, you know, the the fly is very early days and you know still in negotiations and you know I think our our, our take on it uh, I'm extremely excited about and it would be so 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 fun to to work with this uh, work with this franchise with Fox, but you know at the same time like it, it's it's. For us, it is always, always, always going to be character first, um, and it's character over genre. It's character over intellectual property. You know, it's character over budget, and you know, whatever we step into, that's going to be that's going to be the the uh, the priority. So, you know, I it is crazy, so crazy to you know, get those Google alerts and, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of them out there. Now. There are, there's a lot. Like I, I, it's, it's no secret that I, I, I certainly had a panic attack in the middle of the night, uh, because, you know, I, I keep Google alerts up for slight and, uh, I wake up to, you know, like 60, 70 emails of compiled Google alerts. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, you know, and, and again, it's even in, in, in just, the word being out there that this is a conversation, mm-hmm. um, very quickly you realize just that uh, it's very different to work with something that people already know about. I, IP is a hell of a drug. IP is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Um, but, you know, whether fly or anything else that we swing after, you know, there, there is a sort of balance you need to split where, you know, we, we would never write a movie based on what, like, forums are saying it should be. Uh, but no matter what, it's helpful to know what's you know what's in the sort of collective hive mind, um, and while that shouldn't drive the creative, it certainly can influence. Um, uh, it certainly can influence, and 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 more. I, I think it's just it's helpful in the data gathering of like, yeah, like what are the important pieces of anything? You know, I, one thing Alex and I talk about all the time is I think in so many remakes, the wrong part of the movie is being remade. Um, you know, and that that's not to say that like. Oh, like just shoot a movie with that has nothing to do with the IP, and then like slap Star Wars on it. Like that's that's certainly not the point. Like people are showing up because there's something that they loved about its predecessor. Uh, but you know, I think what people also forget is that, and, and this is something Alex and I, it is like the weird holy. This is kind of our creative holy grail, is to create a movie where, for no reasons of nostalgia. Um, is both wildly entertaining and also at some point like you cried you know and I, I think that there is this thing that happens with some bigger scale movies where and it's no one's fault like making things is hard and there are a lot of steps and there are a lot of people involved but you know sometimes the emotionality is kind of lost and with when scale comes into the picture um, and that's certainly that's certainly a gap we're trying to close. Like, and for me, that would be legit the craziest 
experience to like go see a movie that had like insane spectacle and explosions and this and great dialogue and all this stuff and then I'm crying and I don't know why but this person you know I, I made a joke at like a Q&A the other week I was like I want to make <laughs> like Beginners meets Gardens of the Galaxy <laughs> and I don't I literally don't know what that movie is but like Beginners crushes me like every single time I watch that movie I am floored uh but then if, like, the two of them got on a spaceship and then, like, fought people, I'd be like, ah, yes, also this, <laughs> also this. Um, so I, I think in anything that we do, uh, you know, here on out, like, that, that is slowly the gap we're going to try to close. That's a great place to wrap. J.D., thank you for being here, man. Congratulations so on Slate. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. <laughs>